All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Production Studio. Today, we're back, and you're here with both co-hosts, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you this fine afternoon? Doing good, Andrew. Uh, we won't uh, relive this, but just for the listeners, yeah, we missed a week uh, out here in Tulsa. We had a really bad storm, and I was actually without power for about five days. So a lot of cleanup and so forth, but we're back. Andrew, we've got a great guest. We've been trying to get this guy on for a little bit. We finally got him on. Give us the intro. Yeah, so we're happy to have with us today's special guest, Dan Collins. So Dan played major junior hockey in the OHL with the Plymouth Whalers from 2003 till 2007. During that time, he was also drafted by the Florida Panthers in the third round of the 2005 entry-level draft. From there, Dan went on to turn pro and played a few years, spending a majority of his time in the AHL um, with the occasional appearances in the ECHL, and then later officially retired and playing in 2010. Now, he is the head coach and director of hockey operations for Bishop Kearney Select 16U AAA team. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Please welcome our guest today, Dan Collins. How are you today, sir? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to talk with you guys. Yes, Dan, I want to start back in the OHL days, particularly the uh, 2004-2005 season, because not only did you excel in the OHL that season, but you were also drafted third round by the Florida Panthers. Some of that has been sort of credited with your uh, great performance at the World Juniors when you played in the U18 American National Team. So talk to us a little bit about the OHL, the uh, international, and then we'll get into uh, the draft. Sure. Uh, for me, first of all, the OHL was a great experience for me. Um, at 16, I chose to go major junior with the mindset that it was going to best prepare me um, to turn pro if I was able to make that jump. Um, I think ultimately it did. You play a ton of games. You have to learn um, how to kind of become a pro and all that at a very, very young age. So um, that helped a ton. And then I was fortunate enough playing in Plymouth. We were only 20 minutes from the U.S. program, which was located in Ann Arbor at the time. Um, and I was actually, you know, went through the whole development program process. I was one of the last cuts. So I was kind of on their radar and being right next door. They were keeping an eye on me and actually invited me to play in two of the uh, tournaments during my draft year. So like you said, that was a huge benefit to me to get some more eyeballs on me playing in the world championships um, over in Czech Republic with them at the end of the year. So talk a little bit about your OHL experience. Uh, what was it like for you? Was there any, uh, uh, how did you grow as a player and, and really how, how tough or how easy was the league? Um, simply put, it was very difficult. Um, like I said, at 16 going in there, I was a very good hockey player. I knew how to put the puck in the net for lack of better terms, but I honestly, I didn't know how to play the game of hockey, right? I was playing shinny hockey, like grab the puck, um, try to get it from me. I'll go outscore you, but there wasn't really a, a process of how to defend, how to play systematically as a team, um, do different things like that. When I was in the OHL, that is when I learned all of that stuff. So there was a very steep learning curve that first year for me, um, having to learn all of those systems, um, the accountability, the discipline that it actually takes um, to play at that level. So it was a great experience, difficult. Um, but after the first year coming into my second, third, fourth year, I felt comfortable, more comfortable um, each year that it kind of went on. So it definitely prepared me to play pro when I got there, um, but it is difficult, definitely a very difficult journey for kids to take on at that age. 
You know, and I'm curious too, Dan, um, what, what goes into the thought process for any young hockey player that's going into major junior leagues? Why the OHL? Why not the Q or the WHL? What, 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 what goes into those factors for those? Yep. So, so for me, there, there's, it can go two different ways. When you're 16, um, you kind of are drafted at whatever your geographical location is, right? So the Ontario league gets these different States in the United States, they get Ontario, Quebec league is going to get Massachusetts, new England, those kind of, um, Eastern States, the Western league gets more of those Western U S states. So for me, I didn't actually get to choose, um, what, which one of those leagues to play in coming from Syracuse, New York, the OHL was where I would have had to play geographically. Um, so being a second round pick there, I didn't really get to choose the only way you can say be from Syracuse and end up in a different league. Like Claude Giroux, for example, he should have been in the OHL. He's from Ottawa. He should have geographically been there, but he went undrafted our 16 year old year. And then from there, he's able to sign with anybody he wants. He then signed in the Quebec league and obviously the rest is history. So um, you kind of have to go wherever um, you, you are from geographically um, with those few exceptions. Andrew. So um, what, what is your draft story? Third round. Um, were you there during the draft or um, how did that, how did you get the news that you're being drafted? And, and question two, did you know it was going to be the Florida Panthers? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So my, my draft was actually the lockout year. It was 2005. So during that whole year, the OHL was playing, but the NHL was shut down. Um, I'm trying to recall it, it made it started up late, late, late that year. Um, or maybe they didn't even play, but they ended up figuring out the draft. So bottom line where they had the draft planned out, didn't end up happening. They ended up having it in a hotel, I believe in Ottawa. Um, and they only invited like 20 guys who they knew were first round picks. So I actually did not go. I watched the draft sitting, um, in my house upstairs in our family room, and it was literally clicking a, a button, just refreshing the screen, refreshing the screen, <laughs> refreshing the screen, like wow. <laughs> wait, waiting to see if your name clicks and pops up. So then to your question, did I know it was going to be Florida? Um, I, I really didn't. When I went to the combine, I had, I believe, 20 interviews. There was 30 teams at the time. So just kind of in my head, I knew some of those interviews I had a better feeling in. But Florida was one of those. But I wasn't definitely sitting there thinking, it's going to be Florida right here, right now. Um, but yeah, that was the story. Just refresh, refresh, refresh. My name popped up, and then uh, I got a phone call about a minute or two after from uh, Dwayne Sutter. We've asked some uh, people that have come on the show that have, uh, uh, you know, part of their draft uh, experience. Can you talk about uh, the interview? Like, what sort of questions? We've heard of everything from they just want to get to know you personally, try to get to know you know, uh, whatever inside your head type stuff. What was some of the interviews like? And was it really necessary, I guess, now that you're an adult, you're a coach, your hockey operations, is, was that all necessary or is it just part of the, the game? That's a good question. Um, I would say yes. Like to your point, being on this side of it now, when we're recruiting and, you know, not, not recruiting, cause you're not allowed to recruit, but touring players around talking to them, that is, how, how do you get to know these people, right? Because everybody you meet the first, second time on the surface level, they're obviously going to be on their best behavior. But part of what's made Bishop Carney so successful is the culture 
that we're able to build with the character or the quality of the people that we have. So we need to siphon out who those people are pretty quickly. So to your question, yes, I, I think some of the questions, and I'll get to that part next, that they asked were interesting. Like they had nothing to do with hockey, but you could tell what they were trying to do was like you said, get inside your brain, understand how you would process a certain thing. So for an example, like the New York Rangers, you know, market is completely different, say from Buffalo, right? Where I live here, right? They're both ho great hockey franchises, but living in New York City is different than living in Buffalo. So the questions they asked were a lot more geared, not towards hockey, but how do you handle stuff? If, hey, you're you're in this position, somebody asks you to do this, like just little things. They weren't necessarily getting you to kind of spill the beans on yourself, but they wanted to kind of see how you would react. And to your point, how I reacted or what I said might not have had anything to do with it. They just wanted to see how I answered it or just read me as I'm doing it. So um, those were some of the ones you would have. Some of the other ones were just very, very nonchalant. Hi, nice to meet you. Never talked to you before. Um, just wanted to get a chance to eyeballs on you. But some of the other ones would be more in-depth. Where do you think you need to get better as a player? Um, so to me, those were the teams that might have been a little bit more involved in you, right? Wanting to dig in a little bit deeper in how you view yourself. They probably obviously see you going in a certain direction for them. Do you see yourself the same way? See if that matches before they even bring you in. So um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was very nerve wracking, but I had been through a lot of process before that with people that had gone to the combine um, and, you know, they said what kind of questions were asked. One of the ones that was fun that I kind of, I'd prep for was they asked, tell me a joke. Like you think about walking into a conference room in a hotel. I'm trying to think, I think it was San Jose. Um, so you got some of the big dogs. Uh, Wilson was there and at the end of the table that I've never seen before, other than as a kid, you know, seeing these guys on TV. And the first thing they say is tell us a joke. And you're like, all right, well, hopefully I got a good one here. But like, that was one that you kind of like, I had heard those questions are there. So you're trying to kind of prep for a funny joke. Like, I don't know if what I even said or if it was funny or not, but like that was one that had nothing to do with hockey. They're just checking your personality and seeing, you know, where you fall, where you fall in. So, and, you know, in your position and what you do now, where you help developing young players. Uh, so when you're going through this draft, you're how old? Uh, fifth, them or me? Sorry. Uh, no, uh, you going through uh, the, the, yep. the draft. Yeah, I was 18. Yeah, 18. Yeah, so so you're 18 years old. Yep. So do you have did you have an agent or some sort of consultant to help you get through this? Because I would just imagine you'd have to. There's so much prep work to be done. Yep. So I had an advisor when I was 14. His name's Scott Norton. He's still around. He had uh, Dustin Brown and a lot of uh, other guys from the Syracuse area as well. Um, so he helped me a lot, kind of got me in touch with the right people. Also, my trainer, um, he works with the Syracuse Crunch at the time in the AHL, worked with Columbus, their NHL facility, uh, fac sorry, facility at the time. Um, so he was actually at the combine with me. I drove to the combine with him. I drove home with him and he knew everything that was kind of coming and what was going to happen. And he did a good job of prepping me, whether for the physical part or the mental side of it as well. So I was very fortunate to have people around that had experienced it before. So, so, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. 
Yeah, Dan, just before um, I forget, I, I did want to get your opinion on this, especially now that you are coaching kids round 16, the ones where they're going to start getting drafted in the major junior leagues and get there. What is your opinion on the Q, the QMJHL banning fighting? Do you think that they should ban fighting the rest of the leagues? You, did you see how it was necessary? And, I, and I'm not talking about with the NHL, strictly with the 16 to 20, 21 year old kids in the junior leagues. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I've always been like a proponent because of how fast and physical this game is that there there's a time and a place for it. I, I never liked the guys that like the stage fights that, you know, this guy's on the other team. They're just going to fight for a show. But like I said, the game is so physical. If there's somebody out there that is taking liberties on other people, the only real way, like you can't just come up to him and say, can you please stop doing that? They can, you know, give him penalties, but at the end of the day, they only stop when somebody tells them, makes them stop. So um, for me, I was not a fighter. I think I had 15 fights throughout, you know, major junior and pro. And I think I can remember almost all of them was standing up for a teammate that just got hit, right? They got hit from behind or their head was down, something like that, where I was just like, I'm just stepping in. He can't, he's down on the ice. This is not allowed. So then it kind of calms the game down. So um, for 16 to 20, I, I, I understand it. My only concern on the other side is, like you said, if it's not going to be gone in pro, when are when are they going to get comfortable? Not that they have to get comfortable with it, but it is something that is an uncomfortable thing to do if you've never done it before. Um, so like when I was in Plymouth, 16 years old, I was taking boxing lessons, not because I chose to, but because the team had a coach that would come in once a week to work with the younger guys just to learn how to throw a punch or to just get comfortable with it a little bit. Not, not so that we would be out there fighting, but literally just so if it ever happened, I wasn't completely clueless and I didn't get hurt myself. So that's kind of how I feel about it. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Um, but I do believe the game, like I said, it is so fast and physical that um, there sometimes is a need to kind of calm things down in that way. Dan, back to your career. Talk to us a little bit about the 2006-7 playoffs with Plymouth. So you have an incredible run, something like a point a game, 20 points in 20 games during that run. And this is right before you hitting the pros for the first time. So kind of a highlight in your career or just a, a really good time? What was that? That just seemed like you picked up a lot of momentum and you carried that right into your pro career. Yep. I, I would say that was probably one of the most fun years of my life, like hockey wise, all of that stuff. And it was the group of people we had. So you look at that year, we won an OHL championship. I was fortunate enough to play with James Neal, um, a bunch of other really good players that turned pro. Chris Terry still playing now. Um, and what I realized in that is we wanted to be together so much. Like we were always talented. We had this group of players together for a couple of years, but we realized having been together for three or four years at that point that it was about to end. Right. And you realized all of the stuff we had kind of been through and how much we cared about each other and we didn't want it to end. So you saw everything kind of take off from there. So that kind of went into my own personal, you know, uh, success as well. The team's feeling good about each other. I have a big role on the team. We're all close. We're all friends, all that stuff. So it kind of all fed each other. Um, and then obviously for me personally, it's my fourth year in the league, you know, from 16, 17, like the game starts to slow down. You become much more comfortable and confident. You start to kind of understand your niche. For me, it was shooting and it was scoring. So I understood 
this is what they're counting on me to do. This is moments of the game. This is areas of the ice that they want me to excel in. So I would focus on that. So that kind of helped me figure out myself and kind of start to take off. So I'm curious, draft pick. So now you're signing, I guess, technically would be your first contract going into play pro and you sign with the Rochester Americans. But how does that work as a draft pick? So before you sign the contract or I guess maybe if you did during the draft, whatever it be, do they sit you down and talk to you? Do they give you a plan of like, hey, you're going to start here. The goal is, you know, maybe we, we, we get you up in the NHL. How, how do those talks go? Or is it as simple as, no, they say you're going to start down here and you just work your way up. It's simple. It's a little bit of both, right? So I, I signed the contract with Florida. I knew at that time, like the chances of me realistically making Florida were slim, but at the same time, you're going to NHL training camp. Like if you're there, I, I watched it. Rob Globke, um, who played, I think he was at Michigan State. He made the team that first year. He was not a guy going in there that they thought was going to make it, but he played well enough. So my point is saying that is they, they bring you into the camp, um, they kind of put you through the motions to get you comfortable with it. And then in your exit meeting, they're explaining to you where they're going to put you right now, what they would like to see you kind of working on. And then you're kind of out the door and off. Then, then I report to Rochester. I talk with my coaches there, same kind of thing. They're, they're reinforcing what Florida is kind of looking for um, and so on and so forth. So it, it's a little bit of both. So talk to us about your first pro, um, uh game or should we say leading up to your first program pro game you're coming out of the uh ohl now you're playing in the ahl you're playing with grown men supporting families here bigger guys faster guys what was that experience like i'm sure eye-opening yes it, it was a lot it was a lot so i I feel fortunate enough. Like I said, I went in the OHL and I had a lot of that, you know, you're on your own. You got to figure it out. You're going through a 68 game schedule then plus playoffs. So there was some familiarity with the schedule right away. Like when we practice was different. We're instead of practicing at three in the afternoon, you're practicing at 10. Then you got the rest of the day to kind of take care of your body and your stuff. But it was eye-opening very, very quickly. I realized very quickly playing with Clark MacArthur um, in Rochester that, you know, I was very good, but there was another level of very, very good out there. And he was, he was it. He was so, so good that I was like, I don't know if I can play this game at this level with how good this guy is. But that being said, my first game, I was really excited. It felt to me just, I was supposed to be there. I always in my mind thought I was going to become a professional hockey player. So I was just, you know, one step closer to what I wanted. I, I had a great first game. I think I had a goal and uh, two assists in my first American Hockey League game. So for me, like I said, it felt comfortable. It was um, fast and there was a lot of things I had to learn, but that was probably the highlight of it right there because I think I ended the season with like six points or something like that. So <laughs> I three in the first game. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. So we, we ask, you know, guys who are management or, or coaches – um, this question, I want to make sure I'm phrasing it right to you, Dan. So as a draft pick, I'm sure that there's a lot more expectations for you rather than a assigned roster player on an AHL or ECHL contract. So when you were moving up and down, when you were getting put into the lineup, was it fair as in everybody, wh whoever performs well or whatever their role normally that they play in, they get put into that role or in that lineup? Or is it like, all the draft picks normally get, um, let's say, I wouldn't say the favoritism, but they're invested in them, right? It's not just an AHL guy they picked up. So 
did you ever notice that with yourself or with other players? Like they they need to play those draft picks. You have to play top six minutes so they can see if you're ready for the big club. How did that work? Or if that was if there was any of that? Yep. No, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as like whatever you know round you're drafted in, that's an investment, right? Like I I sign, here's your signing bonus. This is how much they're paying you. For how my career worked out, they paid me way too much money, right? So the you're looking at like a first round pick right there, like you need that guy to work out, right? If you're the scouting staff, if you're the GM that picked that guy, like that's your name on that player. So if they don't work out, it doesn't really look good on them. So as much as they are trying to field the best team possible, um, they also have to, you know, make sure they check that mark as well. Did they give that first round pick enough chances, right? Now, now for me, if I had blown the doors off the place, they would have given me more opportunity. I'm going to go up to the NHL. There's no question. They're not going to hold you back if you're lighting it up. But if it's me or it's the first round pick or it's the undrafted kid over there, they're going to go first round and then it's going to be me. And then it's probably going to be that guy. And then I experience it when you go down to the East Coast. Right. Like I was then looked at like, well, you're a third round pick. You're supposed to be this and we're going to do this which makes sense. But at the same time, I was sent down because I was struggling. Right. So um, there is definitely those expectations. And then um, they, they got to make sure they give that investment enough time to see if it matures. Yeah. And um, we got a couple coaching questions, but before we get to that, um, what led to your decision to retire? We actually, I forgot to ask this question off, off, off air. Sure. So um, my third year in juniors, um, after I was drafted by Florida, I blew out my back in, I think it was January. I ended up having back surgery, came back and was able to play and all that stuff. Um, but almost every year that I was playing pro, I would herniate it, bulging discs. I would be missing time. My, I got a little bit slower quickness, all, all of that stuff. And then you're, you're more sore. It's hard to play physical. Like it was all of those things. And then the mental grind of, you know, for me at 13 years old, I thought I was a pro. I took the game serious. I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I trained very hard. So at 23, you, I put all those things together and it's like, I don't, I don't know if I can continue to do this anymore. So um, that's kind of what happened with me there. And then I also had a passion to play golf that I always like like Michael Jordan, he had that passion for baseball and wanted to pursue. I did the same thing. After I stopped playing um, hockey, I moved to San Diego and tried to pursue golf professionally for a little while and ended up teaching um, golf and uh, PGA. We talked to a lot of players that uh, didn't work out for them reaching the NHL, their ultimate goal, but then they end up signing um, other places in Europe instead of staying in the North American circuits like the AHL and East AHL, mostly because the pay is better. Um, and then you could still play with some good players, win a championship. But uh, did you ever consider Europe or, yep. or going to those any other leagues? Yeah, my last year. Yeah, when I was in Johnstown my last year, I, I think two months left, I, I was toying around with, do I want to keep staying here and see if I can fight to get up to the NHL? Um, I mean, I hadn't really been doing it that long. So is it worth keep trying? I was then looking at Europe. Like you said, you can make good money, all that stuff, continue to play. But then – all of it kind of caught up to me. I'm like, I don't waking up going to the rink in Johnstown. I was like, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. I don't know if it was the situation there. Um, and as a pro, I was on the worst hockey teams in whatever league we were on for three years in a row. So in Plymouth, we, we won the division every year. I'm used to winning like my whole career. And then it, it was tough. It was tough 
um, being on some of those teams, like it was a struggle. So just a grind and it kind of all just caught up to me. Um, and then I, like I said, I had that passion for golf and I just decided ultimately, like, I want to go try that. I could go to Europe. I could do this, but then for what, if I ultimately am not going to make it to the NHL or if I don't have that drive to get myself there, because talent is one part of it. The other part of getting to that level is that drive and that hunger you have. And I knew I had kind of lost it a little bit. So that's when I had kind of turned gears to golf to see if I could ignite that passion and kind of pursue that. So you're now head coach, director of hockey op at Bishop Kearney, which is yep. the select uh, under 16 AAA team. How did this opportunity come about and was coaching part of that plan? Yep. So right before COVID, I was with the Junior Sabres organization and the Academy of Hockey, which is, you know, one of the better skill development things that we had here in Buffalo. I was working with Matt Ellis, who's now with the uh, Buffalo Sabres, Nick Tuzzolino, who's coaching in the East Coast this coming year. So we had a really, really great group um, of guys there. COVID hits and then everything kind of gets restructured, right? And during that COVID like lockdown, Bishop Kearney had kind of become a thing. The people that were at South Kent had kind of started to move some people over there. I'd heard about it. Um, and then, like I said, COVID reshuffled everything. The Academy of Hockey wasn't going to be a thing anymore for a little while. So that job was gone. And it was, I was really looking at like a, a junior saber, you know, part-time AAA coaching job. So for me with a young family and everything, that wasn't ultimately going to work. So I, I, called Chris Collins said, what is Bishop Carney looking like? You know, is this a real thing that's happening? Um, and he said, yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you interested? We have a coaching spot open at 16U if you want to do it. So I kind of, you know, jumped on it from there, looking at it being a better situation. I'd ha I live in Buffalo. So I drive to Rochester every day when we have to practice and all that. So, um, but it's been great. The opportunity to kind of be at a program from day one and build it. Um, I didn't realize the satisfaction you get from building something from scratch, but having done it now, having, you know, we won the national championship at 16 U last year, our 14s then won it this year. Um, it's been, it's been pretty cool to be a part of all of it. So is this now going to be some of your goals moving forward? Do you want to climb the ladder as a coach and go to the pro leagues or are you enjoying being able to, like you said, you've been able to build your own program and, and find success with these kids. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, the competitor and the the person that's inside me, I want to pursue getting to the top. I would love to win a Stanley Cup. I don't think that, you know, goal has ever gone away since I've been four years old. So that still burns in the back of my mind. I, my daughter asked me, you know, when the Stanley Cup came out, she goes, Daddy, why don't you have a Stanley Cup? I was like, it's not, it's not that easy to just get myself a Stanley Cup. So um, ultimately, I love what I'm doing right now. I wanted to be at 16U because like I told you guys, that was the year for me when I went to the OHL and it's it was hard. It was a very difficult year to learn all the systems. So I look at these kids and I tell them that exact story. I'm going to teach you all of the things I did not know at 16. and I'm going to prepare you the best I can for USHL, for June, wherever you're going to go next. You will know all the things that I didn't know. And I'm going to try to give it to you in a way that is, you know, able to swallow. Like I'm not a coach that jumps down my players' throats. I'm very intense and passionate. There's no question, but um, I didn't like being yelled at as a coach. So I don't like to yell at my players. I like to have conversations and build relationships with them. So what is some of your other future goals? What do you got going on? 
Uh, not too much right now, honestly, just, I got a young family, like I said, making sure I spend enough time with them and take advantage of that while they're still young here, but eventually maybe taking a shot up the ladder. You know, I played in the OHL, maybe that's a spot. I have friends um, that are in pro hockey, maybe looking at that, but I'm in no rush right now. Like I said, with the, with the young kids, I want to enjoy all of that while I can. We're going to switch right to our lightning round questions, which is our favorite and our uh, listeners like it as well. A name, a place, if there's a story, the time is yours. We're going to uh, hit right to it. So I'm going to start. This will be from OHL into pro. Who is the toughest goalie you had to face? Oh, that's a great question. I probably Justin Peters. He, he ended up getting traded to us, but he was toughest competitor, hard to beat. He never gave up. Did you have any pregame superstitions or rituals? And if not, what was the craziest one you did see? <laughs> um, I, I've seen quite a few. I didn't have, I wouldn't say I did anything crazy. I got dressed, did similar things around similar times. Um, uh, you've you you name it it's been done um I once was in a drought well I thought it was a drought I didn't score for five games I took my sticks and I took put them in the toilet and I started just flushing him flushing him flushing him oh my god the boy the boys come by me they go what are you doing I go I'm flushing the shit off it boys like I can't <laughs> score right now I just gotta flush the shit off him so I did score that game so I, all the listeners out there it might work yeah um, it works there's no tape on it make sure the water's clean all that kind of stuff but you know, it was just one of those things. It's all mental. It, none of this stuff actually does anything, right? It's all mental, whatever makes you feel comfortable. The uh, craziest or most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or a warm-up? I mean, falling. You, you come out on the ice for warm-ups um, and you just hit hit it face first, right in the thing. The boys let you know. <laughs> it's usually when you step on a puck, it's usually not, you got tape or anything, you know, on the bottom, nobody's going to do that to you in a game. They do. We do do that to each other in practice, a little tape on the bottom of the blade, um, <laughs> take them down. But yeah, I've done that before. It's not a great feeling. Um, you're, you're thankful at that time that there was only 20 people there for warmups and not the game started. There's a couple <laughs> thousand. So it's good. So considering from juniors to pros, were there any rats in your career, just somebody who necessarily wasn't trying to fight you all the time, but that would jab you in the back oh, and yeah. in your face, maybe wouldn't fight you? Any Richard Clune. Richard Clune. And, oh, and, and I mean that in the most respectful way, because like you, you have a guy like that on your team and you love those guys on your team. But he was that guy for me. We played Sarnia six times a year and he was we were always talking to each other he was always coming after me seeing if you know do you want to fight hey or go fight that guy just kind of messing with me a little bit because he knows that's not what i wanted to do but he was very good at it and he did a good job two-part wow. question here and um i'm gonna say just stick with the pros on this one um the worst locker room and the arena with the worst ice conditions that you played oh uh, can I say Johnstown? I don't even, I don't even know what the, the away teams looks like, but I played there my last year. And like, again, we were the worst team in the league. So this might factor in and like our housing situation was awful, but I'm going with Johnstown, like the rink, um, it, it's slap shot. It's where they film slap shot. <laughs> yeah, right? I, you know what? I think I might have a claim to fame. If anybody can also claim this, I would love to hear it. They filmed the movie Slapshots, Slapshot in three arenas. They filmed it in Syracuse, 
They filmed it in the Utica odd and they filmed it in Johnstown. I grew up playing in Syracuse odd, the Utica odd. And then I played in Johnstown when I finished playing. So I, I don't know if anybody else has done it, but I've seen them all. That's what was the housing great. situation? What was the housing um, situation? Like, like you're living in a house, you're living in a house with three other guys. They were, they were split houses. So there's three guys, this side, three guys, this side. And I mean, like, it wasn't great. Like for where <laughs> I was coming from, like, it wasn't the best situation in the world. I, from what I hear, everything's a lot better now. I mean, they're in juniors now, so everything's really, really good. I would just say for pro hockey at that time, it wasn't the great spot, but I know for the Tomahawks, it's a fantastic situation. Actually, my assistant coach now, Andrew Romano, played for the Tomahawks, and he absolutely loves Johnstown. Yeah, uh, you're, was- not the, you're not the first one to come on here and actually uh, mention Johnstown. And, <laughs> and they always mention the same thing, like it's still the same building yep. that they filmed Slapshot in. Yep. And, yep. and that looked pretty bad back then. Yep. <laughs> same rank. Uh, what was the Dunlop stall? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Dan, what was the rowdiest fan base you played for? Just just the most passionate one out of all the teams. And you can consider juniors too, because I'm, I'm, juniors are crazy. Uh, well, it wasn't one I played for, to be honest with you. Like I played wow. for Plymouth for four years. Like our fans were great in playoffs, but it wasn't the best like junior market. Um, Windsor was fantastic. Those fans absolutely hated us. We played them eight times a year. Um, and we were in the old barn, the old Windsor barn back then. It was just straight up and down right on top of you. Um, so that to me was probably the best one that I've played in. Um, London was my favorite. Just is like that was an NHL rink. For us back then, they got it packed with 10,000 people. Um, it, it was fun, a lot of fun. So the uh, cap this all off, what is so far your fondest memory of your hockey career? Um, I mean, as a player, it was winning the championship. And as a coach, it was winning the championship. It wasn't just like the moment, though, of winning it. It was recognizing, you know, the, the culture in our locker room. In, in the OHL of how much we loved each other. That is what made us win. It was my 16U team two years ago, believing in each other. Like we weren't the best team in the country skill wise, but they loved each other. They bought into being a family. They all got to live together on the third floor and in, and, and it works. So those would be my fondest memories um, looking at hockey and then using those experiences to kind of teach moving forward. Dan, hang on. We'll say goodbye off air, but officially on air, we can't thank you enough. This has been great to get to know you and listen to your story. Appreciate yeah, thank you guys. You. Had a lot of fun.